0: Over 7,000 fast-growing companies like Atlassian, FlowHealth, and Quora use Vanta to manage risk and prove security in real time. You can watch Vanta's on-demand video at vanta.com slash decoder to learn more. That's V-A-N-T-A slash decoder. Support for this
1: podcast comes from another podcast. The world's most valuable resource, it's actually data. Listen now, wherever you get your
2: podcasts. Hello and welcome to Decoder. I'm Nilay Patel, Editor-in-Chief of The Verge, and Decoder is my show about big ideas and other problems. This week, I'm talking to Connell Byrne, CEO of iHeartMedia Digital. And it's a pretty special episode. We taped it live at Hot Pod Summit. That's our conference for the podcast industry. If you don't know, we have a whole newsletter for podcasters. It's called Hot Pod, written by our very own Ariel Shapiro and Hot Pot Summit is where we bring that community together. This year, we gathered creators, trendsetters, and decision makers to explore the latest developments in podcasting, audiobooks, and more. It was a packed house. It was a great time. We ended the day by doing a live Decoder interview with Connell, who oversees podcasting at iHeart Media, which is a gigantic radio company that did almost a billion dollars of revenue in Q3 of 2022 alone. Connell's group accounts for a quarter of that revenue, and his team makes some of the biggest podcasts with the biggest talent around, like Will Ferrell, Shonda Rhimes, and Charlamagne the God, who you'll hear Connell talk about quite a lot. Connell and iHeart Digital earned that success by doing some unconventional things, whereas other big podcasting players like Spotify and Apple have tried to boost revenue through subscriptions or platform exclusivity. Connell shunned those approaches. Instead, he's going for big audience reach made possible in part by his ability to run ads and even shows on iHeart's huge network of traditional radio stations. But that Maverick approach has included some controversial steps as well. Last year, Bloomberg reporter and virtual alumni Ashley Carman reported that iHeart worked with a firm called The June Group to essentially buy podcast downloads through video games. People would be playing games like Subway Surfers, and if they tapped on an ad to get loot in the game, an iHeart podcast would download in the background. To many in the industry, that seemed pretty disingenuous. So of course I asked Connell about that and lots more when I sat down with him at Hot Pod Summit. He was a great guest, super game to answer the questions, especially in front of a live audience. It was our first ever live decoder and it was pretty fun. Okay, Connell Byrne, CEO of iHeartMedia Digital. Here we go. <music> Donald Byrne, CEO of iHeart Digital, I'll Come out. Hello, my friend. Hey, how are you?
3: I'm good. Everybody. Hey, uh, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I,
2: I have to say, people are very excited to hear from you today. Awesome. People shouting questions at me as I walk through the halls. It's crazy to see your podcast expressed as a series of note cards, by the way. It's very humbling. One of these cards literally says, what is your org chart on it? And it's like, oh, that's my whole brand. Um, I want to start at the start. You're the CEO of iHeart Digital. iHeart's a big company, long history. It's been a player in the audio space across multiple kinds of distribution for a long time. Uh, you came to it through an acquisition of stuff. Why did you want to sell to, to iHeart?
3: In around 2008, I was the general manager of a company called HowStuffWorks.com. And we were acquired by Discovery Communications Discovery bought our company because they were about to go public, and they wanted to have a really strong digital strategy. It was a smart move on their part. And to buy a company like ours, HowStuffWorks.com, was a good move. Our job was real simple. We were a medium-sized website trying to explain everything under the sun through medium-sized articles. Once we were inside Discovery, we suddenly had the air cover of this huge, already global media company. And we could start to experiment a lot with other content types, other stuff. We realized that maybe our greatest asset was the people who worked there. They were really good storytellers. They could take anything from air conditioning to artificial intelligence and tell a story about a topic. There was this new-ish thing called podcasting. We soundproofed some rooms and we threw some people in those rooms who are now Josh and Chuck who co-host Stuff You Should Know and several other shows. Cut to 10 years later, that had become in some ways more successful than the source of it, the website. And so we spun it out as its own company, Stuff Media. And very shortly thereafter, we realized we needed two or three things to grow a lot faster and get a lot bigger. We felt this podcast wave coming. We felt like we were really onto something, but we wanted to accelerate it 10 years ahead fast. You always do if you're running a startup. iHeartMedia came along and they offered us two or three things specifically. One was just investment. Make more shows, make more great content, sort of level up the stuff that you're doing. Number two was this massive marketing machine. Broadcast radio is a mass, mass reach medium still today iHeart Radio, through its broadcast radio stations, reaches 9 out of 10 Americans a month. That's an insanely large but insanely accurate number. We wanted access to that. We wanted to shout really loudly about the stuff we were doing. And the third thing they let us do was a sales team. We had three or four people who are our formal official sales team at Stuff Media. iHeart has 1,300 salespeople in all 50 states across 160 or so markets as we've divided up the country. Those three things let us go from like 2018 to like 2028 in our own trajectory almost overnight. The last piece I'll say is Bob Pittman. He's the CEO of iHeartMedia. Way back in the day, he founded MTV. He's had a long career of being the CEO of several companies. He has a certain energy and vision about him where he's able to run large companies as if they were startups. This is very immediately notable when you sit in a room uh, with him and talk to him for 30 seconds, and that definitely helps. So we jumped in.
2: I-, I talk to a lot of startup CEOs. I talk to a lot of startup CEOs who get acquired by big companies in the tech world. This is a common situation. The things you're describing don't always happen, right? The culture is not preserved. The nimbleness is not preserved. Uh, in particular, attaching a thousand plus person sales team to a startup usually goes sideways. Is it just
3: Bob Pittman is like, chaos reigns, be a startup, or is it something that you did? It's a great question because I've been on both sides of that. It's not that being inside Discovery was bad. It was just different. Ultimately, Discovery, I think, did the right thing by leaning into more of a streaming strategy as their digital media strategy. What that meant for us was we were not the, the main course anymore, as it were. Inside iHeartMedia, it's an audio company. It's what we do. We tell stories through human conversation, more than anything else. So there's never been a moment in the company when we were sidelined or, or deprioritized. It didn't hurt that this explosion hit podcasting. Uh, we predicted it to some sense. We felt in 2018 and 19 that it was coming, but that certainly helped. And yeah. A lot of it is Bob Pittman and his partner, Rich Bressler, and our, our uh, head of finance, Mike McGinnis. It's just a deep, deep belief in the C- C-suite across iHeart that, that podcasting ha- merits a place at the table. It's never been any different from day one, and it's made all the difference.
2: So recently, iHeart restructured. You became the CEO of a formal division. I told you it was about OrCharts. I'm not even into the Orchard question yet. Um, <laughs> Uh, You became the CEO of a formal division that's responsible for podcasts. Walk us through what that actually means, right? Sometimes these kind of restructures are a little bit fake. This one seems like it's much more real. And you've got a terrestrial radio business that is undergoing its own massive change.
3: This one was definitely very, very, very real. Our podcast division, the iHeart Podcast Network, was seeing explosive growth. I thought we were doing a good job. Also, the medium was exploding. We felt at iHeart that a lot of the value that we had as a company, we wanted to unlock and make more transparent to the investor community, to audiences, to, to researchers, to analysts. One way to do that is to create different operating segments in your company so that you can talk more about how well you're doing inside certain divisions and businesses, as opposed to it all getting lumped together into one big overall set of numbers. The way to do that was to create two segments in our company. One is called the Multi-Platform Group. It comprises broadcast radio, live events, few other things. And the other is the Digital Audio Group. That comprises all of our social media assets, all of our websites, um, a lot of the innovative tech work we do, like we launched iHeartland in Roblox and Fortnite and podcasting, and also by the way, a huge streaming business, but and podcasting. I was made CEO of that after two or three years of just running the podcast division, I was made the CEO of the Digital Audio Group. What it allowed us to do, a lot with a lot of other stuff, it allowed us to talk a lot more freely to the market about how well this segment was growing and and specifically podcasting. To be clear though, there's a whole lot of fluidity between these segments. A 1,000 or so of the sellers that I mentioned sit in the multi-platform group. They certainly sell all the assets we have. We have this mantra at the company of any seller can sell anything any day of the week, wherever they live and work. And that's rung pretty true. That's driven most of our growth in podcasting over the last two, three, four years at the companies because of that.
2: Okay, if I was to reframe what you just say more rudely. (laughs) You could say that you have a division full of older stuff, older distribution, and a division full of newer distribution. Some of the newer distribution is proven out, like podcasting. Some of it is Roblox. You could also say you have a division that might be declining and a division that might be growing
3: at a faster rate. Is is there a tension there at all? Oddly, no. I've learned about this a lot, and I've talked about this a lot as I've learned it, is how much and this may be debatable and may feel like an affront to a lot of folks in the room who live and breathe podcasting as an original medium, in quotes, but I have learned firsthand and there, and then talked about a lot the extent to which broadcast radio talent have honed this craft of conversation over the last hundred years, but certainly decades, and to the, ex- the extent to which that has driven our medium, first of all, just with sheer talent hitting the medium but also with awareness of the medium. So the easiest example for me is Charlemagne the God hosts a show called The Breakfast Club out of Tribeca every morning. This show is also a podcast where we capture the file, distribute it as an on-demand thing and it drives upwards of 15-20 million downloads a month. He also co-owns a company with us called The Black Effect that he actually 51% owns. It has 29-30 podcasts under it. It alone drives 15, 20 million downloads a month. All I see is this sort of constructiveness across these two segments. There, there is very little competition and there's very little, well, they do that and we do this. In fact, I think the only way we succeed and the reason we've succeeded is that it, it, it's been quite the opposite of that. I don't think we would be where we are, my opinion, as an industry. I certainly wouldn't be where I am as, an, as a podcast network without the support of not just the sales team, but the creative juice of the broadcast radio guys.
2: One of the uh, themes we come back to on Decoder over and over again, especially when I talk to creatives or creative executives, is that your distribution fundamentally shapes what you make. That if you just describe me the constraints of any distribution platform, I can kind of tell you what you're going to get. YouTube is a good example of this, right? We all know what a YouTube video is, because YouTube has sort of designed the constraints of the platform to produce that thing. Radio and podcasting, very different constraints. You're saying, oh, there's a seamless back and forth, but surely you must see, okay, oh, on this distribution, I make this. This is what the audience wants. On terrestrial radio distribution, it's the thing that we're all very familiar with, terrestrial radio. Where's the tension there?
3: It's a great, great point and question. And it's been a pitfall of, I think, digital media from day one. First of all, search engine optimization, period, is a version of what you're talking about. When you start to reverse engineer all the content you make because that works best on such and such a platform, there was a moment on YouTube where we all sort of realized the same thing around like 2010 or something. It's like, oh, the optimal video is this length and you have to open with this kind of thing and then close it with that. And to some extent, you kill creativity and true innovation when you start to reverse engineer what an asset should be for the content platform that it's going to be distributed on. In fact, you almost certainly kill, I think, true creativity when you hit that moment. Podcasting, just as a side question, it's not your question, but as a side answer to it real quick, podcasting has bucked that a lot to date. It has resisted this notion of a podcast episode is supposed to be 28 minutes long and have two ad breaks. It's actually a lot of different kinds of things. It can be a a true crime limited series of 8 to 10 episodes that are 30 minutes long. It can also be a stuff to blow your mind episode that's sometimes three hours long of just two guys talking about stuff. And both are completely okay and really perform well, actually. So it hasn't yet hit this moment of reverse engineering from the platforms that it's on. But no, you're spot on. Broadcast radio is a highly formatted media type. And I think if you were to sit down, any of these creators who are on broadcast radio, they'd openly say to you, we are talking with Angela Yee the other day, who started a new radio show on on iHeart called Way Up. She was a f- former co-host of The Breakfast Club as well. And she said, you know, on the podcast, it's much looser. It's clearly not um, as regulated as radio. I can talk about the things that I can't talk about on radio. I can talk about sexuality or what trends I like or don't like. I can go on as long as I want. I think there's a creative freedom to it that allures a lot of them that radio doesn't have. It doesn't have the mass reach of broadcast radio yet. So the allure backwards to radio is you have true mass reach audiences, which I think brings them back. Are you
2: converting off the radio or are you programming across to the radio? Or are you saying we're gonna run ads for our podcasts on the radio and
3: you're gonna come watch it? You're gonna come listen to it. I think we've made this I think we've said this publicly. We 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 spend a hundred and $20 million a year. It's like it's something specific, like $113 million a year. The last time we said this out loud, of our own on broadcast radio valued impressions or commercials to promote our podcasts. So, one of the numbers I'm most proud of at the iHeart Network is we have about 70-ish shows in the iHeart Podcast Network that drive over a million monthly downloads or more. Some of them way more. Stuff you should know is up in the usually up in the 40s. But we have 70-ish shows that drive a million monthly downloads or more. That's a ton. Like anybody in the room and most of us do work in podcasting, you know that number is hard to get, harder and harder to get every day. The only reason we have that number is cuz of broadcast radio marketing. Funny anecdote, when we launched the Ron Burgundy podcast four years ago with Will Ferrell, we gave him a really big uh, GRP push across broadcast radio. We ran an ad on broadcast radio every single hour for 30 seconds for the Ron Burgundy podcast in 160 markets. And it was the only time I've ever gotten a call from somebody who's like, please, Will Ferrell, was like, please, please stop running so many ads. So, it, But it worked. I didn't know if it would work, but these shows started to pop one after the other because of the broadcast radio uh, promotion that we were giving them. We give a ton of in-show podcast promotion as well, but we've seen that convert, yes. Do you convert people to Apple Podcasts, to Spotify? Do you care? We don't care. I, if it's a jump ball, I'd love them to use the iHeartRadio app. I under. I understand where we sit. I understand where we sit in the pecking order. It's good. No, I, I admire I want your you optimism. All to download the rate. It's like a $1,000 CPM post red ad right here. Um, <laughs> He's going to leave now. He only but, came uh, <laughs> on here to fish the app. No, we'll tag all of our spots on air with uh, listen wherever you get podcasts, and, and we'll say our own app, but then other apps too. We are an obsessively widely distributed content company.
2: So, But this is a split, right? This is On a split. the other side of the business, you own the distribution. You own the radio stations. You program them. Bob Pittman can buy Stuff Media and say, you know, we're, we're going to build the podcast business, but running Will Ferrell at you until you're sick of it. And because we control that inventory, we control the distribution. Do you worry that you don't have the same control? Or just, I mean, obviously, iHeart Podcast app aside – by the way, uh, put the verge.com on your home screen of your phone. We all, we all got this. I told you, it's all the same problems. But iHeart Podcast app aside, right, this is an inherently decentralized medium with lots of different players, lots of different control, lots of different monetization schedules. Does that worry you?
3: No, because podcasting is a decentralized medium insofar as its distribution is concerned. It's a widely dis- it, it thrives when it is a widely distributed medium. It is a centralized medium when it comes to RSS feeds. And we take this for granted as creators, as publishers, as networks. But to tell it in a sort of reductive way, 20 years ago, when some folks were sitting around a table deciding, how am I going to distribute all these great podcasts that we're going to start making? They could have used several different technologies to do that. They could have published them on YouTube. And they chose what is a real simple version of it called real simple syndication, RSS feeds. This changed everything. For podcasting, it made it the medium that the internet promised creators it would give them, but hadn't yet. If you're a creator on YouTube, terrific platform, incredibly creative, but you don't own your fan base. This is obvious at this point. We all get it by now, painfully. In podcasting, it is fundamentally different. I can plug my RSS feed as a creator or a publisher into a distribution app if I so choose. People are subscribing to my RSS feed. They're mine.
2: This, may, this has made... Wait, all- are they yours if they're subscribed in Spotify? There's a, there was a YouTube announcement earlier today. Are they yours if they're subscribed on YouTube? If I
3: choose to pull my RSS feed out of a distribution app, I choke my audience because people who go there and expect it there won't see it anymore. But I still own and control the pipe. Whereas if I decide to stop distributing or making content on my YouTube channel, my brand just goes away. It's gone to the extent that I can try to convert people to a different platform to keep that audience relationship going post my YouTube channel. It's possible. It's hard to convert to a new platform. But it'd be like being able to walk away with your YouTube channel or with your channel is a better way to put it. This has made podcasting different. It's why we widely distribute. Otherwise, I'd be sitting up here saying we really are working hard to get everybody to the iHeartRadio app. But the business, the economics of podcasting today, still today, sit with the creator, sit with the publisher, because you own the pipe that you distribute your shows through. So it is. it sort of behooves all of us, I think. At least I haven't found a business model that, that proves it differently. It behooves all of us to plug that pipe into as many distribution points as possible. I'll say one more thing. It has made conversations with creators really simple. Because you can rest assured that at some point in the conversation, the point will come up, well, how, how are we gonna distribute? Like, we're, I'm Will Ferrell, let's hang with him for a second. Like, I want to uh, I get as much audience as possible. I make content, I think it's gonna be good, I wanna put it in front of as many people. There's no asterisk on the, on the answer back to him. It's, yeah, we do too. It's really that simple. In fact, we'll distribute it on broadcast radio. We did. The Ron Burgundy podcast was distributed as a show on late Sunday night on broadcast radio too. There's no ulterior motive or different goal. That's where I think podcasting. And yes, it's about my competitors and I get it. But I also just think fundamentally as a business model, it tripped up a little. Where it said, let's do mega deals. That could be worth it. If a creator is that good, you may want to pay that where it tripped up is these exclusive distribution models that made sense for streaming services like Netflix and Hulu and maybe Prime because they were solving problems. In this one, I couldn't identify the problem that that was solving, and therefore I think the industry tripped up on it.
2: I want to come to exclusives. I want to come to consolidation. You've sat out a bunch of stuff. You've sat out subscription. But I just want to sit with distribution for one more second. The money from each of these pipes is not the same right? The money you might get over serving the Spotify audience or doing marketing on Spotify to get downloads does not necessarily result in the same return. If you were to just run the audio on YouTube and say there's a YouTube audience here, probably a very different return based on how that ad model works. Do you look at your distribution endpoints and say that one is the most lucrative one? This is a less lucrative one we should focus on? All of the
3: distribution points that we distribute to today through RSS feeds are equal to us in terms of the money we make on them. That's because that's just how RSS feeds work. The platform and you're doing ad injection into it. the feed. It's, the whole we're thing. in total okay. control there. The creator and the ad-serving publisher. In our case, how is do you in total reconcile control. the metrics across? Now, to answer your other, if this, if this industry were to wholly move to a platform like Facebook or YouTube, different platform different platform. You have a platform tax that's introduced that has not been introduced yet into podcasting and may never be introduced. It makes sense to me why a platform like YouTube, a wonderful platform in many many ways, it makes sense to me that they would smartly say this is some of the best content in the world. We'd like to distribute that. But it's a different business model and you just have to be aware of it. That th- that's the only difference so far. Everywhere where we distribute today, and and candidly, the lion's share of our listening is on platforms that are all created equal in terms of the economics that flow back to the publisher, in this case, iHeart.
2: I talk to a lot of digital media CEOs, digital media types. Uh, Most of them are like, Facebook won't give us a time of day. Google won't give us a time of day. It sounds like you think you have some leverage over the platforms. Is that how it goes when you go and talk to these folks?
3: I don't, I candidly don't think. Do you even talk to them? Or are I, you just I like, do, screw we, it, take we, my RSS we, feed and we leave do, me alone? We do, we do. Talk, we talk to Google and YouTube are awesome and very, very, uh, I say There's this, a sigh of relief from the YouTube people yeah, yeah. Or somewhere. Yeah, they're all like, oh, thank God he said that. <laughs> um, are awesome insofar as, and I, I, I don't pretend to like know what's in their heads. They seem to be genuinely, it's cheesy. They seem to be genuinely in love with the medium like we all are. Like I fell in love with this medium 10 years ago. And that's important because I think they want to do the right thing by the medium. Um, Facebook has come, its interest has, has grown and waned and groaned a bit on podcasts. And we've all seen this. I'm not saying anything like like privileged or anything. Over the last 10 years, and I think that's been a question of them sort of figuring out what they are as a platform, what the next chapter of them should be, whether it's the metaverse or just doubling down on newsfeed better there's been moments in the last five, 10 years where Facebook has shown real interest in audio and then they've sort of backed off at the two or three times that's happened. So I don't, I'm not sure.
2: I would say like a broad story across digital media is like Facebook wants something. Everyone's going to make it and they turn it off and all the businesses go away. As you brought up SEO, Google wants something. We're all going to make it. They're going to turn it off. A bunch of businesses will die. Chat GPT will eat us all. Um, <laughs> live it up. Is that present for you? Do you think that you've built a business that is resilient to that kind of platform shift? Or are you, is I the do. answer just RSS feeds again?
3: I don't have this concern in the same way that I had when I was writing text-based articles 20 years ago for HowStuffWorks.com. When I was focused on social and digital video at Discovery Communications You were always worried like, oh man, but I'm always at the sort of beck and call of the platforms that I distribute on like to a crazy extent, to an existential extent. I don't have this concern in podcasting. Perhaps because today podcasting, there is nothing broken in the distribution and monetization model. Nothing's perfect, but it's pretty close to perfect. You have a distribution model that is free. You have an ad load that is light. You have a content type that is the highest quality in the world, I'd argue. Maybe out of any content getting made today, except TV is really pretty good right now. But we're, we're like right there next to it. I struggle to see something broken with this. And usually, even if ultimately it was frustrating to the creator network, usually when there was a huge shift in a business model, the newer platforms were fixing a problem. We may not have liked it, but there usually was a problem getting fixed. Streaming again is a really obvious example of this of, of uh, TV streaming companies. Um, I don't see it in podcasting, and maybe that's why I don't, I'm not I'm not super concerned.
2: We have to take a quick break, but when I come
1: back, you know it. Work charts. Support for decoder comes from Mint Mobile. Imagine you're at a very fancy, expensive restaurant. And as you're browsing the menu, wondering how you'll afford anything on it, you notice the filet mignon is a mere $10. At first you think jackpot, but then you immediately think, wait, what's the catch? Now what do suspiciously cheap steaks have to do with your cell phone bill? Well, we're used to seeing quote unquote great deals from overpriced wireless providers, and also thinking, what's the catch? But with Mint Mobile, there is no catch. For a limited time, their wireless plans are just $15 a month when you purchase a 3 month plan. You can get this new customer offer and your new three month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month. Go to mintmobile.com slash decoder. That's mintmobile.com slash decoder. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com decoder. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on an unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Min Mobile for details. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack.
2: Last year, when we were all in this room, we could not stop talking about Spotify. This year, all in this room, we're all talking about YouTube and video and all of a sudden we have video podcasts now. And iHeart. And iHeart. Well, you're here. And org
3: charts apparently are coming. Oh, it's it's right here. It's it's (laughs) happening.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm building up to it. No, for real. We were talking about these giant platform companies. Have you had conversations with Spotify about making stuff exclusive?
3: Making stuff exclusive to Spotify? No. Would you ever? No.
2: And that's just ideological for you?
3: No. I, I will test anything. I don't see a reason. Put it simply, we have a platform. Uh, we have an app of our own. I can test exclusive or windowed content there. We've dabbled in subscription channels on Apple Podcasts just because I, I had creators who came to us and said, I'd like to try this. And we're a v- I'm very proud of this. We're a very good partner with creators. We tried it. It's, it's not a huge focus for us. Because, I, again, I hate to keep repeating it. I don't, I don't see the problem I'd be fixing.
2: Yeah. So this is the org chart question now. It's, fi- okay. it's finally <laughs> okay. arrived. Thank God. It sounds, I know, it's like the suspense <laughs> for the org chart question. <laughs> uh, it sounds like you've got things figured out. Like you have a confidence in your business. How have you arranged iHeart Digital What's the structure below you to make all this work?
3: I don't know that we'll have like a big reveal, but there's a product lead. Udanamline is our is our chief product officer. There's an engineering team. That's about that's that's maybe a hundred people. An engineering team that's sort of at the back end of all of our digital products. We have obviously a podcast team run by our president of the iHeart Podcast Network, Will Pearson, who's fantastic. Came way, Similar trajectory to me, came from mentalfloss.com 20 years ago. He oh, found, wow. it, founded it. He's in like a Duke, internet OGs. Yeah, a Duke University dorm room he founded it, and now he's found his way into podcasting. So similar trajectory and a wonderful guy have a huge digital revenue sales team run by Carter Brokaw, who's fantastic. And then we have a big, uh, and I end on this because it's a very important team, a business affairs team. We do a bunch of partnerships with a lot of creators and a lot of distribution platforms. Um, there are iHeartRadio streaming channels that show up as on your electronic programming guide on Roku. And we also co-own a company with Will Farrell. And so our business affairs team is busy, and, um, and accounts for a lot of our growth. But that's loosely how it's worked out. Yeah. The reason I
2: ask that question all the time is, I'm, one, I'm always curious. And I think every, every CEO has but one tool, and it's shuffling the order chart to solve problems. And sometimes you just shuffle it to create change. I know you do. Everyone does it. But if you listen to this room over the course of the day, right? I, we've probably said podcasting is in its infancy a mm-hmm. hundred times on the stage in the breakout rooms. You are describing a mature company right? A company that's like a lot of action is in business affairs is a company that has figured out a bunch of stuff. It's just like life, right? Like a Hollywood studio is at peak is like a bunch of studios and then like a room full of accountants doing billing on syndication across companies. Do you think the industry is mature enough to be like, actually what you all need is a business affairs group?
3: Yes and no. I mean, uh, so I have like, I have four kids and all I can tell you is, I'll answer it this way, like, like when my 17... 17- Which one of your children is the business fairest? <laughs> <laughs> They're all looking for internships. Uh, well, the oldest one is 17, he's named Pierce. And he's going to start this journey now of trying to get into college and go to college. And, and I'll answer it this way, where he's sort of like, uh, he's like, you know, how did you decide what you're going to do? And I said, all I can tell you is, and he rolls his eyes and stuff, but I say, you know, I literally... The job I have, the industry I work in didn't exist when I went to college. There was no digital media when I went to college, let alone podcasting. And so I said, all I can tell you is just have your aperture be wide open, man. Like, just be wide open to new industries and new things inside that industry. When I told him this, I was like, you know, like the blockchain. Oh God, <laughs> <Are you honest laughs> This to was me? like a year ago, and so now he's like, whatever, dude. But you take the point, business affairs, I didn't think I'd have or need a robust business affairs department even two years ago. Are we mature enough as an industry for every medium-sized network or larger to have one? Sure we are. This is a, We've arrived. Podcasting is a mass-reach media. 80 million Americans a week listen to podcasts. 120 million a month? 80 million a week is the more interesting stat to me. We are a mass-reach medium. I sat in Chicago in front, of, uh, in front of OMD the day before I was with Publicis. Next week, I'm with Universal McCann. All I say to them is, this is no longer an experimental bucket of marketing. This is a must-buy bucket of marketing. You just saw it happen. The newest mass-reach media just happened, and it's called podcasting. And by the way, it's not slowing down. Our downloads are 412 million downloads in January. That was up 12% from the month prior. So do I think we're mature enough to have all of the things that a big, respectable, grown-up table business should have? Yes, of course we are. We've earned this for 20 years. We've worked damn hard, everyone in this room, to get to this point. For sure we deserve it and and need it, yes. You brought up your numbers, so i got to ask you about the numbers. Notable Verge trader Ashley
2: Carman is in this room somewhere. She wrote a story at Bloomberg, a great story about PodTrack, how you might be inflating those numbers with mobile game downloads using the June Group. Are you doing that?
3: No, we don't.
2: You don't? You've never bought downloads through no, mobile
3: game ads? we use June Group. We've talked with Ashley a lot about this. June Group is a, is a vendor that drives marketing for podcast companies that's targeting mostly gamers, whether those are gamers playing Subway Surfer or people who ever index for the metaverse. We have experimented with June group across the years. It was, I think our stats were something like never more than one, two, two and a half percent of our downloads in any given month. We were especially interested in recently because we were launching a thing called iHeartland, which was basically iHeartMedia as a Roblox map and as an island in Fortnite. So we were especially interested in like if we got gamers into our podcast network could we then bring them into these live shows in iHeartLand? We don't use it anymore.
2: Was there ever a thought that uh, look, iHeart's an old company, it's a radio company, Bob Pittman built it in a very particular way. Radio's a more ruthless industry than podcasts. Was there ever a thought, hey, as long as we're getting listeners in the door and we can make these numbers go up, some of them will convert and stay? What do you mean? I think most podcasters are bad at marketing. We're bad at marketing, Decoder. This is as much marketing <laughs> as we ever done. Um, marketing people are here. You're very good. I love you very much. Um, but the idea that we're going to run ads, we're going to run ads at scale. We're going to yeah. run ads on broadcast. Yeah. We're going to put the local news anchors on the side of buses. Right. This is not this industry. Know, right. If I any mean, of you are buying bus ads, please let me know because I right. know how it works. Um, <laughs> We're going to buy ads somewhere where someone will push the button and download the episode and we'll, the number will go up. And oh, I hopefully get it. some of them will stay. I right? see. It's not the kinds of game that there is usual in this industry. Right. Common. No, we're,
3: we do not do that. Do you, how do you think
2: about audience acquisition then? Is it just...
3: Well, we only- have over $100 million a year broadcast radio marketing. We run billions of podcast impressions a month to promote our own shows and our partner's shows. We also have a digital marketing team. I forgot that in the org chart. I'm gonna get in trouble too, you. just like you are. Yeah,
2: the BD team is like like they're, gonna, living. they're like the killing marketing it right now. Like, what are you doing?
3: Like, yeah, our marketing team spends, I literally think like 95 percent of their time thinking about how to deploy house ads, what we'd call house ads, and maybe five percent of their time on paid paid marketing. Paid marketing is still helpful, but I'm like 95 percent of that is. Facebook marketing for a specific show, if it wants to hit a very specific demographic ninety five percent and i'm I think I'm being conservative yeah. of their time is spent. How do I deploy billions of impressions of house ads a month
2: and is that something that you, you think about as targeting right when the the standard Facebook line is okay, you're going to find your customer, you're going to describe them to us, we're going to put an ad in front of them, and it's going to convert. And then maybe Apple will ruin everybody's business with ad tracking. But that's been their promise for years, and it might still be their promise. If you were to ask sort of the N plus one digital marketer, where's the best place to spend your dollar? They're still going to say a meta platform. They're still going to say a Google platform. They're not going to say you should buy billions of podcast impressions yet. You're saying it's actually billions of podcast impressions.
3: Absolutely. And I'm actually saying they should also buy broadcast radio. And and I'm not in the multi-platform group. Yeah, but the shares
2: go up, by the way. But I'll,
3: but I'll talk you through why. Some of this is obvious. Like you said, yes, targeting is getting harder for for digital social media, digital platforms. Um, in some part, because of what Apple's moves are, but it's getting harder. CPMs are going up. The quality of the online ad marketplace is going down. These are objective truths. So if you're a marketer, and this was a well-worn, tried-and-true way to market over the last 10, 20 years, that just got a lot harder. We're starting to use words like cohorts instead of one-to-one targeting, and it's confusing, and it's less effective. We haven't even discussed the trust issues that are very real on social media. Folks trusting social media less, influencers having less success on social media because of that, and therefore marketers, again, being like, I don't know what to do with this. It used to be like a really tried and true, my go-to tool, and now it isn't. As that's happened, this thing has come along called audio fact it was always there but now it's exploded and all of our attention is on audio now because of podcasting because you have this new platform that's incredibly cool and lots of great creators are using it and it's 80 million Americans a week but the truth is audio all up is a third of all the media we consume like think about that for a second we ran this study with Wark. it's a third-party research study two years ago a third of all the media we consume is just audio by the way, 75% of that third is broadcast radio. It's a massive amount of the stuff we take in and that we call media. I'll end on this. Like, if you're a marketer and you hear that third stat, you're like, wow, so a, th- a third of all the stuff that people take in is marketing. I wonder how much I'm spending on, mar- on, on audio marketing. That number is usually 9 or 10% of their overall investment. It's just a disconnect. These are marketers who are usually really good at this stuff, <laughs> like really good. This is what they do really well. I know exactly where to find that demographic or that psychographic or that particular male 18 to 24 who want, or 18 to 34 who wants to buy a truck in the West Coast. But they've, they've just created this gap between where users are, where ears are, literally, and where their investment is. That's what we're trying to true up podcasting is helping us do that because it's grabbing so much of the oxygen in the room in the last especially year or two where people are like, oh, wow. It's a way for us at iHeart, candidly, to pull them into audio all up through podcasting. It's been cool. Is is radio the upsell on podcasting for you? Because that's what it sounds like. It often is. So you'll walk into a holdco in New York and you'll say, I I know we're going to talk about podcasting today. By the way, if you love digital audio... (laughs) and you and we all do. It's the only you, room
2: where you can say that and people like perk up. By the way, yeah,
3: <laughs> if you love digital audio and you want real reach, there is no way to get real reach in digital audio. As much as I would love this to be the case, there is no way to get real reach in digital audio unless you contend with and purchase broadcast radio. To try to help with this by the way, iHeart, the, the multi-platform group actually, built a product called Smart Audio that's really cool. They take our panel listening on the iHeart Radio app. They look at it by geoterritory and day part. They tie it back to the shows that you're listening to on air. And now it's digitally infused, data-infused listening that they can target digitally. So they've taken this like 9 out of 10 American adults a month and they've just informed it with a digital listening panel. I only say this to you because that's how we do that sale. We're well, like, yeah. hey, you should buy podcasting. You're you should buy streaming. some targeting. Here is your reach extender. If you don't do this, you will never have the reach you need in digital audio. I wish you will, but maybe one day you will. Not today. So that yes, we do that all the time.
2: I look at the companies that have the targeting capabilities. Yes, there's some Apple chaos in the mix, but Google, Facebook, Amazon, which secretly has a gigantic advertising operation, all hurting. Are you feeling the pinch of the ad turn down, Down Downturn. It's,
3: the short answer is no, we're growing. The longer answer is we're in an odd economy. We're all watching metrics sort of daily. Inflation rates, interest rates, unemployment rates, the Ukrainian war. We need certain things to calm down and other things to end. I think marketers in this moment are actually not turning down down in advertising as much as you'd expect, I think some of that is because a lot of the folks who are in power at marketing companies were also in power even 10 years ago when the last major downturn happened, and certainly two or three or four years ago when COVID hit. And I don't think this is wishful thinking. I think it's real. I think they know the effect long term that you have when you stop marketing. And so there's a little bit more of a prioritization of continuing marketing even through a strange economy that there might not have been if the memory of COVID wasn't so fresh that's helping us a little bit. I also think, second thing, there's a new thrust in, in, in influencer marketing. Kind of never went away, but now we're back to this again of influencer marketing. Maybe it has something to do with the tools of targeting are getting harder, and so people are just sort of cycling back to just humans tell my story on the platforms where you make stuff. Podcasting in particular benefits from this. Simply, simply put, the whole podcast industry in one sense is just the most amazing, best storytelling group of influencers to hit media in a really long time. So we benefit from there being new attention on the influencer market.
2: I feel like an early version of the podcast industry was entirely built on host reads for direct-to-consumer brands. We all did it. You can feel however you want about it, but we all did it. Um... The toothbrushes are great. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those companies are also struggling. Is that still who you're pitching to? Or are you, are you a publicist saying, all right, GM, Will Farrell's going to read about electrification today?
3: Yeah, this is a super good question. The first five or six years of the podcast industry, we I think we can honestly take credit for several companies that are around today, like like MailChimp and Blue Apron and probably the mattresses that we all sleep on are because of the podcast industry. I know that sounds crazy, but it's- well, it's of, because of the venture capital money. The, and that too. Did the businesses survive? Who knows? We saw a shift from performance marketers or direct response marketers into more bigger brands- thanks to ad tech evolving fast in podcasting. Dynamic ad insertion and geo-targeting made lots of stuff possible. Competitive separation, category exclusivity, share of voice conversations suddenly became possible when you could dynamically insert into ad tags. That wasn't possible prior. So I know I'm sort of recapping the obvious, but this was a inflection point. In our whole industry, that suddenly you had big brands and sometimes big holdcos swooping in and wanting to invest in podcasting. There were lots of things that moved what was initially experimental marketing dollars from those big brands and holdcos into permanent marketing dollars. People trust podcast content more than they trust what they see on social media by like 60% more. 60% of podcast listeners have bought something because they've heard about it on a podcast. And therefore, it's another 60. This is the only reason I remember these. (laughs) sixty. It's like 57% of marketers currently spending in podcasting are going to spend more, not less, more next year. This has made direct response brands' lives a little harder because now there's a lot of competition for what was for them the best-kept secret in marketing for like five or ten years. What we've actually noticed in the last two or three months it's a very timely question for us at our business is because I feel like we've moved off too fast. The direct response business. I feel like it's actually a really still a thriving business and there are huge great ad agencies like ad results and Veritone and Oxford road who do great business for performance marketing uh, companies and we're, if anything, we're we're making that more of a focus and paying more attention to it in the last two, three months. Cause I think we moved off it too fast. And I think it's a robust business we should still focus on. And it's also how we got here.
2: When you say direct response in the context of podcasts, it these are in performance marketing. These are like the words the ad industry invented to describe very simple concepts. With podcasts, you're talking about promo codes at the ends of the ads, right? Usually, yeah
3: usually and it's a great question because it's like isn't everything direct response at the end of the day but yeah you're right it's it's redemption codes url codes and it's why those guys initially were the first people to jump into podcasting because the only kind of marketer that doesn't need your data is a direct response is there any
2: way to actually innovate in because you're saying we got to innovate and push back in it and i'm like it's still just promo codes
3: i don't know I don't know that it needs innovation. Like it's worked for them for 10, 15 years. I think we can do all the innovating with different kinds of marketers from bigger brands, bigger budgets, maybe longer-term multi-year campaigns. Um, when we launched a company like the Black Effect with Charlemagne, we had we had huge annual sponsors that were deeply ingrained in that company. And we were actually working and trying to make change together, like genuinely. I think that's okay to innovate over here and with the direct response folks it's they innovate in their own way it's like what it, you'd be surprised actually as much as it may sound nuts the extent to which you're innovating by iterating many many different reads at many different lengths and many different different placements across a show i know that sounds like eh it's kind of boring it's not for them it's a multi-billion dollar business so i want to be, i want to be
2: more part of that Glass-walled conference rooms where they just come up with funnier promo codes. That's a meeting I want to go to. I've always thought about it. Uh, we've got a few minutes left. You mentioned that you had experimented with subscription. I've listened to you in the past, even more or less
3: anti-subscription. Why is that? I just don't see it fixing anything that's 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 broken. It made perfect sense to me as a consumer. Ten years ago, was it when I subscribed to Netflix? It made perfect sense to me. The problem it was solving, the price point was undeniable. It made perfect sense to me. I can't find the reason in podcasting. I've never seen a medium move from widely distributed and free and high quality with a low ad load, low to no ad load sometimes, move into a paid medium with exactly the same assets. So when you pay for a subscription on most platforms, and you receive a podcast that somebody else is piping into that platform through an RSS feed, nothing's changed about it. You're still getting the full ad load. So I've just really struggled to understand why you would do that. Also, subscription models usually come with exclusive or windowing of content, which I think you're starting to see that with creators. Like I don't think there's a creator on the planet who's interested in, in literally decimating their audience size. Even for the sake of a big check, that's interesting. But I think that is creator psychology of like, actually, sometimes it's more important for me to have a large listener pool than it is to have a big check. I think some of the press recently has focused on that, and I think it's smart.
2: The counterexample there is obviously Joe Rogan going to Spotify, huge exclusive. Spotify got whatever out of it. We don't know how Joe Rogan feels about it. And then on sort of the other side, you have Mr. Beast who literally gives away money to start a hamburger chain that will make him a billionaire. Are you on the sort of have wide distribution and use that to convert against
3: whatever your other business is? Yes. We widely distribute. Is that a
2: pitch p- you make to creators?
3: Yes. Yes. When we sit with Malcolm Gladwell or Shonda Rhimes or Questlove or, or Charlemagne the God, our own radio DJ, yes, the, the pitch is, I assure you every single episode of what we make will be available to any listener or wherever they want to pick it up. And that will lead to conversion for something else for you. That's right. Sometimes. Sometimes. Or this will be a business in and of itself, and that's fine
2: too. So that was the, my next question there. Do you offer rev shares to your creators as yes. you who wanted? Yes. Because the math the- works out with subscription. I'm not sure how it works out with advertising.
3: Yes. That's the core business, fundamental, pretty consistent business model of podcasting is a rev share model, and yes. And none
2: of your creators are saying, actually, you want to light up subscriptions to take rev shares off of subscriptions. No. How do you account inside of the advertiser? Because they're not in charge, right? They're just trying to grow audience, but you're selling the ads.
3: It's always collaborative with their approval. So um, easy example is we have a sort of multi-year relationship with, I'll give two examples, with Malcolm Gladwell and Pushkin Industries and then with the NFL. Two really different examples. Malcolm Gladwell has an existing slate of shows. Our partnership with him is to monetize his shows better than he thinks he could himself, but also to co-produce a whole new slate of shows, and then overlay iHeart Marketing across all of it so we grow the whole thing bigger and are able to make more revenue together. We do all kinds of advertising models with Malcolm and his team. We'll do standard, straight-up, quick-turn, host-read ads. We also have an original content series we make with IBM called Smart Talks. That's actually like a podcast we make together. That's actually awesome. And everything in between. NFL, very similar. They had seven or eight podcasts that they were making. We had a good relationship with Roger Goodell in the league. And he was like, I believe in this medium. I think it's really cool. I just don't know that we at the NFL are gonna get this as right as you guys might as fast. And we wanna part with somebody really big very similar model to Pushkin Industries. We pulled in their seven or eight podcasts with the promise that we'd market and monetize them better. We're also co-producing a slate of whole new stuff. I hate to answer it so sort of vaguely. It's incredibly collaborative. There is no moment where they're surprised a month or two later that such and such an advertiser has been underwriting their entire slate and they hate that brand or something like that. It's not really how it works. I think that's It's sort of like high attentiveness at scale with partners is what we've been able to maintain so far.
2: We need to take one more break, but when we come back, we have to briefly touch on NFTs.
0: Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life.
2: We're back. We've talked about a lot of your shows. We've talked about all the new things you're doing. iHeart does like a lot of new things. There's always something new happening. I have a card here that says NFTs on it. I feel like I already know how it went. <laughs> um, but there's just always new stuff, right? How'd it go? How'd the NFT things go? Lightning round, up or down NFTs? Uh, we did a. No, lightning round, up or down. It went okay. It's medium. We'll see. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Fair see. <enough>. Um, <laughs> I don't need. To, that's all the more I needed. About, He's I like, geez. no, lightning round. Yeah, uh, there's a great episode with the the lead <laughs> partner for that stuff at Andreessen Horowitz on the Decoder Feed. It didn't go well for him either. Not great. Uh, that's where the VC money went. Uh, you launched a lot of new stuff. But I look. I just just before we started, I was just looking at your website. Lots and lots of podcast tiles lots of celebrities in the format lots of rewatch podcasts right there's these formats that hit there's things you lead with but then there is an enormous long tail of stuff right because if you're launching new stuff you just like have built the archive you built the library how do you tend to the things in the library that aren't the celebrity shows how do you make sure they get attention how do you make sure they sustain
3: are we still in the lightning round no.
2: <laughs> this is the, this oh, is like the, the like, medium.
3: This is the uh, medium. <laughs> uh, first of all, yeah, it's Thumbs not, up or down, library. Yeah, it's not... Uh, I'll, I'll give two answers. It's not mutually exclusive, first of all. So we started a company with Will Ferrell called Big Money Players. Um, the reason we started this company was because he, I think, genuinely had a blast making the Ron Burgundy podcast. But I think more importantly he saw the, the potential of, of the podcast medium to be a way for him to, to find, develop, and break new comedic talent in America. I think in video, there's this adage for anybody that's worked in video where it's like fast, cheap, and good. You get to pick two. And in podcasting, I think he realized, I don't have to pick. I can get all three all the time. This is very unique. So we launched a company together. My point in answering you this way is he uses this company to some extent, to find new comedic talent that is the long tail you're talking about. Comedic talent like Langston Kerman or Carolina Barlow are right alongside in the Big Money Players Network folks like Bowen Yang or Nikki Glaser or Eric Andre. That's really cool, but it's not mutually exclusive. The second thing we do is we just spend a lot of time focusing on every show that we have on our network we try to organize them into slates that have EPs and producers on top of them. Back a little bit to the org chart, so that no one ever feels like it's all like, about the org chart. It's all end. about the org chart. Every single question is so an so that org no chart. no one question. ever feels like I, I, I haven't heard from iHeart in a month. Um, decent example of this is a program we have called Next Up. Uh, I think it's the single thing I am most proud of at the iHeart Podcast Network. We basically built an academy where once a year we grab eight or ten people, they apply, they get admitted, we build a bit of a podcast studio at their house, we teach them how to use the gear, we teach them how podcast marketing should work, and most importantly, we teach them what a business deal should look like in podcasting so that they know walking into it. And then if they want to, we launch their podcast with iHeart Podcast Network. This has, you talk about that long tail content, This has borne out some of the most amazing stuff we've made. First of all, it's brought in underrepresented creators like nothing else we've done. I'll give you an example of a show. A guy did a show out of Alaska where he was one of 20 or 30 people who spoke a dying language, and he used his podcast as a way to capture that language and report on how a language dies on the face of the earth, never to come back. And so you have this relic now that is a podcast-limited series of what this language means to this guy and why he captured it in a podcast. That is technically a long-tail show. That got its own its own set of executive producers out of LA who shepherd the next up program that we call it. So it's a bit of an answer, but hopefully it gives you a sense of like, it's never sort of mutually exclusive for us. It's not like I spent 95% of our time on Will Ferrell. Okay. I guess we got some calls to make at the end of the day to the long tail. It's usually one actually continuum or, or even, even the same slate. Do you think that you're moving sort of the high margin dollars into the, the longer tail,
2: right? It's probably cheaper to buy those shows. It might be cheaper to produce those shows. Are you doing that
3: math? No, not really. If anything, we've doubled down on this model of partner with a creator like a Shonda Rhimes who wants a big playground that's long-term, who wants to be able to try stuff a lot, make a few mistakes, get it righter and writer, and then hit something big or two or three things. And standing back and sort of watching how her and the Shondaland audio team work, that seems to be it. It seems to be they want to use this medium to do two things so far. One is really good companion content to a lot of the shows they're making for Netflix. That feels obvious to me. It's good content. And the other is really edgy, innovative audio drama. Like, What is the audio drama today? I think the value of that creative playground to a creator that's really free, really permissive, cannot be underestimated i just don't think they get that in a lot of places anymore because of the highly formatted other platforms that they're making content for so we've won in that sense in podcasting
2: you get to market all these shows with your massive terrestrial network and now your massive podcast network everyone else in this room is like we got to make tiktoks because the future of all podcast marketing is tiktok sorry i'm making the tiktoks go follow decoder on tiktok um they're great. are you doing video? Are you open to video? Is this a thing you want to do? I'm open to video. We make TikToks too, by the way.
3: Um, Follow Connell on TikTok. It's great. What's <laughs> on, your best TikTok? On the mean? I Heart Media. <laughs> we, uh, we are interested in video. What I'm yeah. what, I, what I'm interested in is, in is I'll go from like the more obvious down to the less obvious. I'm I'm very interested in the derivative work potential of of podcasts. We all are. We've seen. It makes sense to me that. Um, is that part of your business affairs team? A is bit, selling the IP out? A little bit, a little bit. I don't have it candidly on a P&L anywhere. I don't depend on it. I don't predict what we might get. Hollywood is a difficult, complicated industry. It's nothing new to say that, but so I don't, I don't depend on it. But it, but we've seen some traction there across ten, twelve shows getting optioned, and it's meaningful with huge partners in Hollywood. So it's been fun, if nothing else. What worries me a little bit is that we have this tendency on the internet, in digital media overall, since I've been working in digital media, we have this belief sometimes that I think is false, that everything really needs to be a video when it grows up. And That's a really cool medium. If only it were video. Podcasting is not video, it's an audio medium. And I, I worry that while some podcasts will make amazing video channels, YouTube channels, Facebook video series, and amazing Netflix series, I worry that that feels like the requirement to sit at the adult table. When I really just keep going back to this notion of, it's perfect the way it is. You have a mass reach medium. Do you know how hard it is to make a mass reach medium that 80 million Americans a week are like, I'm going to do that today. And they do it like an hour a day. It's not like a low engagement medium. That's my only fear with video, so we have shows like stuff they don't want you to know has a video channel, and it's awesome. you should subscribe to it it's three guys who are hilarious and fantastic I just uh, I protect a little bit I get a little defensive even about the other three thousand shows where I'm like they don't need to be if they don't want to be they're just audio podcasts, and that's awesome that's probably how I think about it
2: I want to wrap up with what is actually the decoder question uh, I ask it of everybody I feel like I'm You have a very strong conviction. So I feel like I might know how you're going to answer this. But I I do ask everybody this. You have to make a lot of decisions. You've had a lot of different kinds of careers. You've had to make structure decisions. You have to make video decisions. What is your framework for making decisions?
3: How do you do it? Humans have a a predilection for overcomplicating things. And they'll do it for usually one of two reasons. They want to do a really good job. And so they have this instinct to do good work, actually, and so they will try to overperform and overcomplicate a task or, the negative reason, they're covering up bad work. And so they'll overcomplicate in order to do that, to camouflage something they probably shouldn't have done. And we will avoid, at almost every turn, simplicity. Just simplicity. Be as simple as you can In your answers, in your approaches, in your strategies, everything, I promise you, is simpler than you think. That's the first. The second is parallel pathing. We tend to think and work sequentially. It's that whole sort of waterfall versus agile.
2: That is some real Silicon Valley stuff. Throwback. That's good.
3: Throwback. (laughs) That's good. On the iHeartRadio app. Oh, my God. Do you have like an agile scrum podcast? You should start one. (laughs) Uh, but we do we tend to th- we think like, we got to do this sequentially everything will get better and faster and easier if you parallel path projects and then uh, the last thing I'd say is more of a, a, a human thing most of people acting strangely or politicking at work or behaving badly is born out of insecurity they're just insecure It's not that they're bad people. They're just insecure. And if you have that framework when you walk into every meeting, every creator meeting, every partner meeting, every competitor meeting, it changes your whole outlook. I have not mastered this, by the (laughs) way. But it's good. A friend told it to me a year or two ago. I didn't know it until then. Once he said it, it was like, oh, my God, that's right, including in myself. All of us do this. If there's principles that I try to sort of remember once a week or so, it's probably those three. Well, Conal, thank you so much
2: for being thank on you. stage. Thank you for answering the question. Thank, your you. Chart. thank all of you uh, for coming to Hot Pod Summit. Thanks to Ariel who did an amazing job. Our partners are work by work. I think that's it. Go make good decisions and listen to Decoder thank on TikTok. You. Thanks again to Conal Byrne for taking the time to be on Decoder. Thank you for listening to the show. I hope you enjoy it. Thanks also to everyone who attended Hot Pod Summit. It was really fun to do the show in front of a live audience. As always, I'd love to hear what you think of Decoder. You can email us at at decoderatheverge.com or hit us up directly. On Twitter, we're at DecoderPod. On TikTok, we're at DecoderPod. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and subscribe wherever you get podcasts. If you really like the show, hit us with that five-star review. Decoder is a production of The Verge and part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. It was produced by Creighton D. Simone and Jackie McDermott. It was edited by Kelly Wright. Decoder Music is by Breakmaster Cylinder. Our editorial director is Brooke Minters. And our executive editor is Eleanor Donovan. We'll see you next time.
0: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder. But you don't need a miracle to hit your goals.